0: Hi, everybody. We're on episode 17 of season five, and I have Matt Ram back with me. Hi, Matt.
1: Hi, Catherine. Good morning to you.
0: Good morning to you, too. Well, today we're going to be talking about schizophrenia and what to do if you have this condition and are wanting insurance. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. Very quickly, Matt, before we get into this, how are you doing? I believe that you've got a, a bundle of joy on the way very, very soon
1: oh oh thank you for asking uh absolutely um my my daughter rachel is uh 34 35 weeks pregnant um i was lucky enough um to go along with her um uh, her partner was otherwise engaged i would suggest say um but along to her latest scam so i saw the little little boy my little grandson um you know as, as you know, Catherine, yourself and all mums will know out there, um, perfectly formed, yeah, in a mum's tummy, and um, it, it, quite an emotional moment, really. I've only, I've ever that, that's the third live, if I can call it, scan I've ever seen. Yeah. I've got two children myself, it's quite an emotional moment, but it, yeah, it was, it's, it's lovely, and um, a little bit of a shock to everybody concerned, um, but only, only six weeks ish ish to go now and um, brilliant yeah it's great thank you for asking it's um it's a bit of a distraction but uh, it's 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 lovely probably probably the best distraction one can have
0: oh absolutely I was going to say obviously I've I've got three children I have to say the scans are wonderful and and for me um I I kept getting more scans than was um, than you'd usually be getting because um, with me being quite tall I'm six foot so the baby had quite a lot of stomach area in a sense so in terms of the measurements my stomach never measured at the normal kind of size that they expected. So they'd be like, oh, we need to do a scan to just double check the baby's okay. And and I'd go in and they'd be like, yeah. And the scanners were there. And they're just like, it's absolutely fine. It's just because you've got a long body and he's literally got loads of space to move around in, um, which was really, really good. And uh, but obviously it just meant I got more scans, which is brilliant. But I always the one that really stands out for me was with my youngest. And they did the scan and there was bubbles. (laughs) everywhere couldn't there was literally all these little bubbles and i was just like what is that you know i've been through this twice before you know i'd never experienced and they were like and they're like literally they're like he's having a party in there he's dancing that much (laughs) <laughs> that is making all the fluid bubbly and I was just like oh go and have a little party then obviously there's then thinking, "Oh, what's it going to be like when it gets bigger and I'm feeling you know obviously when there, there isn't as much room when he carries on having a party but uh, always a wonderful wonderful experience no, um, so I'm, I'm have uh, obviously all fingers crossed that everything goes well and uh, it'll be by the time the podcast goes out we'll be very very close to to the actual time of arrival
1: okay. yeah absolutely
0: Brilliant. Okay, so let's let's get into this session then. So we're going to be talking about schizophrenia. So as usual, I'll do like a little bit of a background. And I know we've had a bit of a debate on some of the statistics that we found, um, not a debate, but just a, a difference in the statistics that we found. So I'll have a quick chat about that. And then we'll go into all the different things so that maybe um, advisors can better understand what they'd need to ask somebody if they're wanting some help in terms of getting insurance if they have schizophrenia, and some of the terms and options that might be available. So uh, schizophrenia is a serious long-term mental health condition. And what's important about it is that, because I think that some people, if they knew that someone had schizophrenia, It's not something that we often come across day to day or be aware that we come across um, in a day to day situation. So as with anything, if we're not familiar with something, it could be that maybe an advisor feels a bit unsure as to what to ask or how to approach, um, how to, you know, the best way for them to communicate with the person. And I think it's important to say that the condition itself can be quite misunderstood. So it doesn't call violence. And it doesn't mean that the person has multiple personalities. So the condition name itself is actually now being considered that, that maybe it needs to change because it's seen as being quite stigmatizing and it's maybe not a, a good use of the term anymore. Uh, it can be caused by a genetic sort of like tendency towards it or potentially caused by a traumatic experience and also potentially um, as a follow on from drug use. It is something that a person can recover from. So it might be that someone says that they had schizophrenia um, and that they no longer have it anymore. And we can always discuss what we'd need to to ask in those kinds of situations. And it's most often diagnosed between the ages of 15 and 35. And um, also mainly for people in people who have been like cities and also in some ethnic minorities but when it comes to statistics so when I was doing some um, research for this so we have the World Health Organization or the WHO and um, and on that it says that one in 300 people worldwide have schizophrenia and I know that you found slightly different statistics didn't you Matt?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, When I I was brushing up on the subject, um, all, I have to say, all of the websites that I was looking at, and and they were both um, from uh, interest groups, uh, as well as NICE, um, as well as um, other uh, august medical organisations, actually quoted one in 100 people. So uh, potentially a a more, well, certainly more common Uh, in comparison with one in 300 Mm. and i think we were just debating a minute ago what why that would be and i just wondered whether the world health organization statistic would be the the data hinges on the word on the word world as opposed to maybe the statistics that i was looking at and i maybe should have been a little bit more attentive um, to see whether those statistics related to a particular geographical region. And it could well be that, um, thinking about it, it could well be that this, the one in 100 relates to um, Europe, North America, um, and so on and so forth, where because of the medical care generally available, then more diagnosis as would, be, uh, would be made. Either which way, I think it's it's an interesting one, but it also, to me, tells tells me that this is quite relatively common.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that stood out for me as well. I didn't expect the statistics to show it as being so common. And I think, you know, what you were saying there about North American Europe as well, probably quite naturally, really big cities, you know, there's yeah. and, you know, it is said that, you know, it is generally, it's more so in like a city space as well. Um, and... And whether or not it's one in 300, one in 100, what that stands out for me as an advisor is that, I mean, obviously some advisors, you know, especially if they may be working at the investments and pension space, they'll maybe be more in a situation of saying, right, well, I look after 80 families and that's who I look after. And, you know, so they don't necessarily have over 100 people that they would maybe be looking after at any one time. Um, but for people who are maybe more it'd be possibly like the mortgage space, the the protection space, whether or not that's advice or non-advice, um, we are speaking to hundreds of people You know, a, a year, if not thousands of people a year. So the likelihood of us speaking to somebody is is quite high, actually, at some stage.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the one in, one in 100, if I go back to my career, which, is you know, I've been around a long time, right. um, even as a reinsurer, I can't remember. But that was a long time ago, it has to be said. But it was, even as a reinsurer... I can't remember seeing many cases of uh, schizophrenia hit my desk. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it maybe goes goes back to the general population and the insurance population, which you've just touched on as a factor as the mortgage, people who buy mortgages. Mm. Um, maybe people with schizophrenia, established schizophrenia, which we'll go into a little bit later, don't tend to, uh, severe, if I can call it severe schizophrenia, mm. um, don't tend to, to, to buy houses or, or other products that, that could um, require protection insurance. I don't know. But there's always, I think, that was statistics. It's the general population versus the insured population and people who actually have money to buy. They, they will be a, a, a generally a healthier, well, they are, without any shadow of that, a healthier group. I would emphasise the term group there.
0: Yeah, of course. So I think if we go into uh, into it, then so what are the symptoms of schizophrenia?
1: Okay, can I, can I take a little bit of a step back? I honestly, yeah. go from a complete tangent, which is usually, usually what I do. Honestly, <laughs> I um, do as well. <laughs> thank you for that. Um First of all, I should. What I think I would like to do is just say that. Um, schizophrenia is a is the most common psychotic disorder and therefore one could argue that schizophrenia is a subgroup of um, psychotic conditions and that really is um, schizophrenia itself is a it's a a serious mental uh, disorder um, in which people interpret reality abnormally and uh, what it is schizophrenia itself is characterized by continuous and relapsing episodes of psychosis. And psychosis really is, is, is used to describe, it's a medical term, which is used mm. to describe where people lose contact with reality. And uh, looking down at some of the questions we have, um, I'll maybe jump a little bit here, but uh, and the condition can relo- result in a combination of hallucinations, right. illusions, and extremely disordered thinking in, in, in where behaviour um, impairs daily functioning and, and it can be completely, you know, very dis- disabling. I'll probably just work back a little bit in terms of hallucinations, just to clarify what I mean by that. And that's where people see or hear things that are not there. Yeah. Delusions where people or the, the, the person suffering uh, believes thing believe things that are not actually true um and cognitive impairment fancy term and it's really just disorganized behavior speech and or thoughts you know, i suppose in modern parlance very very random um behaviors okay um so th- those are the characteristics of um psychosis of which schizophrenia is a an actual subset schizophrenia itself um, needs to be diagnosed by a psychiatrist and there are uh, specific uh, psychiatric manuals um, which are used and I, I won't go into them particularly but um, basically it's it they they will say or, or make the diagnosis uh, on the basis of the um, Of the following system uh, symptoms, which I've just talked about to be honest with you, that are present most of the time for one month or more so hallucinatory voices, um, delusions of control, influence, or passivity, persistent delusions of other kinds that are uh, inappropriate or completely impossible. Um, And then you you can go on in terms of these criteria, which actually need to be fulfilled before schizophrenia is um, diagnosed and then treatment. And continue from there but there there is there are criteria and it's potentially um it's a takeaway just think that those symptoms have to be present for most of the time for one month or more when i and Catherine you know i've spoken about this before but when i look through all of these um uh, symptoms i must admit i think i get some of them sometimes yes let's be honest about it talk about self diagnosis for the for the endroider yeah. um, but the key the key is I'll just go back to following symptoms, the following symptom, the, the symptoms to be present most of the time for one month or more. Yes. Thankfully, in my case, I can absolutely assure you that they didn't go on for most of the time for one month or more. Yes. <laughs> By any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So um th- that that really is diagnosis. If, to, 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 the keys, it's the most common psychotic disorder and psychotic disorder is a medical term which is used to describe when people lose some contact with reality such as hallucinations delusions and cognitive impairment i hope that's okay just i always like i always like to go back and think well actually what is the subject that we're talking about you know how is it classified where does it where does it fit and so on and so forth so i hope that's uh, some use
0: no, no, I think it's really interesting because like something that's just popped into my mind as we've been speaking yeah. as well because obviously the whole thing about it saying it can be triggered by traumatic events and like you were saying about that needing to have a psychiatrist Well, obviously after traumatic events I think probably a lot of people would more assume that something like post traumatic stress disorder or complex post-traumatic stress disorder would be diagnosed. But, you know, potentially there can also be schizophrenia. And I'm I'm not saying that, you know, for anybody who's in either of those situations that there's any kind of misdiagnosis, but it's just probably, I'm trying to sort of like allude to is more the complexity of, you know, there are certain situations that might lead to certain things. But as you say, you know, it's this consistent time period. It's, it's all those kind of different symptoms altogether and um, that would need to be really analyzed by psychiatrists um, for it to be an official um, diagnosis. Right. So from, from, an, from an advisor point of view, so somebody were to say to me that they were diagnosed with schizophrenia, what I would be saying is, um, you know, when were you diagnosed with schizophrenia? Um, I'd be double checking to just say, so it was a psychiatrist that they'd seen and I'd ask how long they'd seen the psychiatrist for. Yeah. and obviously if there was ever any confusion then about whether or not a psychiatrist had diagnosed it or not then that would lead me to think actually there's maybe a bit more in this that I need to maybe explore maybe ask a bit more about because you know it, it would be a psychiatrist that would be diagnosing it it, sh- it shouldn't be just a I don't want to say just a regular GP I, I don't mean that no. to sa- sound like that but no, no, you know it's, exactly you mean. Know, it's yeah. um it's it's going to be somebody who's specifically trained in that area because they are looking for those nuances between all the different types of mental health conditions that it could be Um, because i'm I'm right obviously there's obviously there's usually certain treatments and medications i do think some of the treatments can and medications can be quite strong so i I think that's why as well there wouldn't necessarily be this automatic assumption and going down that route but um, can you go through sort of the the types of things that you would expect to be told as an underwriter if someone has um has schizophrenia
1: well, I think that the you, you just touched on um, a couple of key areas. There is, is, is when did your symptoms? When, when were you first diagnosed? Um, would be would be absolutely uh, very important. Um, diagnosis for schizophrenia, I would add, not not general psychotic disorders, not when to underplay general psychotic disorders. Yes. I would add um, would. Always, nearly always, um, requiring patient um, assessment. Uh, I believe um, so. Really, it is one um, when, when we diagnosed who who diagnosed you. Um, three inpatient per, uh, timing. So we are in hospital for a few weeks, a month. When did you leave? Um, who are you? currently seeing, who are you following up with? That generally won't be the psychiatrist after a diagnosis has been made unless there has been a relapse yeah. uh, um, of symptoms. Um, treatment is, is certainly useful. We'll go on to treatment a little bit later on. Um, but the key, sadly, the, the, and very sadly, the, the key cause for, of excess mortality, and what does that mean in English? It means death. Um, is from suicide. Uh, there, there's no two ways about it, and I'll come on to some very sad statistics later on. But they—they they generally suicide is the is the most common cause of sudden death. Poisoning, strangely, crops up in, okay. uh, in the studies. But really, and I know you talked about critical illness as well. Um, studies do show that there is twice the incidence of ischemic heart disease so problems with your heart basically okay. um, from from blood flow issue um in people with schizophrenia so if you go back to what is covered under critical illness then you can see that there is a challenge for uh, underwriters to assess CI with people with schizophrenia or histories of schizophrenia for that matter. Can I can I just go back? I, th- I think this this was certainly something which um, um, I found very very interesting. Oh, these statistics, as always. So I suppose being okay. younger, but um, right again. These these are these are psychotic disorders. We talked about uh, schizophrenia being a subset. Okay, you, you talked about a few um, reasons why do take the fact that they are generally unknown, The statistics have shown that stressful life events such as bereavement, job loss, eviction, relationship breakdowns mm. are associated with a 3.2-fold increased risk of a psychotic disorder. Childhood adversity, such as abuse, bullying, parental loss or separation, 2.8% increased risk of uh, of disorders and it goes through so family heritage you talked about that with the south south asian and, and our, yeah. uh, our, our black populations migration from a developing com- uh, country three times increased risk of schizophrenia right. urban living cannabis use associated with a 40 percent increased risk of psychotic illness oh wow It's absolutely amazing, isn't it? And you know, I know the insurance industry does tend to get grief about asking for things, asking questions about cannabis. Yeah, actually, that is a pretty scary statistic. Yeah, Um, there is a whole range of life events, Uh, early life factors uh, such as uh, in utero medication, maternal stress, nutritional deficiency, uh, parental age. These are all linked to um, an increased risk of psychotic disorders. So perhaps in a, in, in a way, um, I know we, we banded around and it was schizophrenia, one in 100 and one in 300. If you look at all the causes of a psychotic event, then perhaps, you know, the um, the statistics aren't, aren't that much of a surprise. I don't know. But I thought I'd throw those in because, yeah,
0: absolutely. you
1: know, a, a, again, a psychotic event. We must, without any shadow of a doubt, think that a psychotic event means you've got schizophrenia. It doesn't in the slightest. And the underwriters look, should and will, I hope, look at these psychotic events in a, in a very different way. Schizophrenia is a very specific subsection. And that's really what I was trying to get across with with um, my my my, my uh, tangent.
0: At that time. No, absolutely. Um, and so, I mean, in terms of like medications, what are the types yeah. of things that we would be expecting to hear if somebody has schizophrenia? Because it, it's it is quite likely that they'll be on medication for, I think, at least some period of time. I believe not. I'm assuming so.
1: No, no, no absolutely. I mean, I think different. One of the, one of the key things with medication is it's, it 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 is. The, once the doctors work their way through the medications, they're often very different for different people. Different things work for different people, and um, generally, in the with the NHS, um, antipsychotic drugs go back to the psychosis part of this um, help reduce symptoms, but they don't they don't actually cure them. I think that's that's. Yes. Um, pretty important to know so along with with medicine or drugs let's call it that um talking therapies um are often used and we've all heard of i would imagine most of us heard of uh, cbt um
0: for people who have and that's cognitive behavior therapy so that wouldn't be a medication that would be a treatment that people would go through
1: yeah thank you for that um there is a particular um term used by the doctors actually it says cbtp okay cognitive behavioral therapy for psychosis okay so it's uh it's a specific type of cbt um but again it it it, what it does is it doesn't get rid of the symptoms but it helps manage feelings and, and the symptoms better yeah Okay. And there are all types of um, of, of therapies these days. Um, And I was very glad to see family intervention therapies. So that's help for the family of somebody suffering from psychosis or or, or schizophrenia as well. So the treatments will be a variety of things. And I think it's important for advisors not just to specifically think of drug therapies here. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think the one the the, the the medicine that I see most often, but there are quite a few, it has to be said, depending on the particular circumstances of an individual, would be clozapine. C L O Z A P I N E. That's its kind of technical name, if you want. Like with a with a, with a, a lot of um, drugs these days, they often have a marketing name as well, um, which is a, which can be. A little bit of a, uh, a challenge for for um, advisors and underwriters but but is often known as a chlorazil as well right I, I would recommend that if your uh, advisors want to look up <clears throat> uh, particular drugs the, there's a lot of information on the um, on the internet for you know you can put in a drug and see what it is and see what the what the uh, what it relates to All Absolutely. i uh, be a bit careful with that because these things are, are a lot of the time and not black and white. That's that's through experience, my experience as an underwriter. So yeah. I wouldn't jump to a conclusion that because somebody is a is on a drug that they are suffering from, particularly a condition that condition, it could well be that the doctor is looking at a different regime. <sighs>
0: Absolutely, and the, the different medications can be used for different things. You know, so say um, obviously there are some um, antidepressant medication that are actually used in some conditions for um, pain relief. Yeah, um, yeah. So concerning with that, but that is what you said though, That was really good because that's one of the things that I do with my advisors and even yeah, myself. True. You know, if someone says a medication name to me and I'm not familiar with it, then I type it into Google and I see what it is you know and obviously if it does say something on there like maybe an antipsychotic or um you know there are times as well say, so, so like we get told certain ones that are maybe being used for a different condition and there may be more of like a steroid-based medication they're ones to obviously just be really clear about when you're doing your research to make sure that you know you are speaking to your writers and you're saying what those medications are just so they can then have a really good picture about as you say, what that regime is that's being chosen for them because as well I often find as well that if there is a medication we're not familiar with and we speak to an underwriter, it could be a case of them saying, oh, yeah, that's quite standard. Or they might say, well, actually, that's quite unusual for that to be used for this medication or or they've not come across that personally. So they might just say, can you just double check maybe with the clients as to as to what if they've been given it for a specific reason? You know, are are they being um, sort of told that they're going to do that as like a test to see if it's that works well with them and, and. you know, is that something that the doctor yeah, specifically, and then uh. that can really help. And, you know, it saves that sort of like a lot of um toing and froing potentially if it is going to be a case of going for things like um GP reports. And I think it's probably safe to say that for somebody with schizophrenia, it's very likely that there's going to be a GP report for their application um, for life insurance or critical illness cover. Um, And I suppose we've, we've already kind of spoken, I imagine, about the potential risks, but I, I think probably sort of like some of the they're probably like quite key areas is as you said matt you know in terms of um the hallucinations then obviously that could potentially lead someone to be in a situation where they might be at a high risk of, of doing something where they un- unintentionally obviously unfortunately die um because they're maybe not understanding what's going on around them and it's maybe the environment that they end up in is, is quite dangerous w- without them realizing it um there's obviously you say as well the the complication in terms of like potentially more heart disease. Um I, I certainly don't know enough about that to try and sort of like understand why um there'd be more of like a heart disease. I think there's probably part of me that's thinking because of all the um like you said the difficulty in terms of understanding reality and maybe there's sort of like so much stress in some ways based upon that that maybe that has a, a knock on effect to the heart. Oh, I'm not I, sure
1: my my take one take would be I think that the the that People who do have, have schizophrenia and are suffering badly from it, and it can't be, uh, maybe the doctors are finding it difficult to control, would be that they don't look after themselves very well. So the diet won't be great.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Um, they they, um, they dismiss um, things like chest pain and, and, right. and uh, don't get themselves looked after in terms of high blood pressure. Yeah. Uh, and so on and so forth. So I would imagine it's it's going to be something that will, some of those factors will 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 come into it. Um, mm. But no, noting it is two times more of skin cancer disease um, than the general population as well. Yeah, so it's not the insured population; it's the general population. So it is it is uh, def- definitely definitely an issue which the underwriters need to uh, to be aware of. And you go back just to go back to the question. Mm. Um, about asking and um, maybe that's a question that underwriters should ask as well are there any uh, other factors in terms of the person's general health and that will probably come out on a proposal form or similar but um, that's given the nature of the disease and mm-hmm. the uh, mortality that is seen the causes of the mortality maybe that should be a question asked as well.
0: Absolutely and I think um, you know, When we're looking at these applications, for anybody with schizophrenia who is listening, it, we're, not, we're not wanting to say that there isn't an option and that it isn't possible. I will be giving some case studies of where we've been able to get uh, things like life insurance for people that are living with um, schizophrenia. But I think it's just obviously that it's important, as you say, Matt, you know, we're looking at the statistics and we're explaining why, if somebody has tried to get insurance and they're living with schizophrenia, why they've maybe had difficulties in being able to arrange insurances, because it's it's, it's one of those really hard things, isn't it, Matt, where obviously you could have somebody with schizophrenia who is um, doing incredibly well, the symptoms are, are very, very mild, they're really sort of like taking care of themselves, it's something that they are living with, but, you know, generally that they're okay so it's not actually impacting upon their life too much but then there's the other side of things where if somebody unfortunately it is really significantly affecting their life and as you say their lifestyle factors might not be um very conducive to being healthy and and unfortunately there's in in terms of the insurance world and in terms of the underwriters they sometimes have to I imagine the kind of girl a a bit middle ground and then if, if they can sort of like, let's, you know, if they can take on board somebody's positive lifestyle factors, then brilliant. But generally the probable starting point as with anything is to go, right, well, here are the rules in general for people who have schizophrenia and then kind of work from there in some ways.
1: Oh, you're, you're 100% right. I think that's a really good way of, ex, uh, of explaining it. I mean, I um, the, the numbers of cases I have seen over the years where by where, a, asking the right questions, which I know is a very big thing for you and Cura and, and Catherine, asking the right questions up front, um, but also um, asking for the underwriter to ask the right questions from the GP or whatever medical profession professional that they are talking to. Because, as I think I've alluded to already, schizophrenia and, and psych, you know, general psychotic disorders um a, a very individual they're different for different people and it's important that that picture is built up as best as possible by the underwriter they have to ask the right questions that's incredibly important um to give the uh, uh the client who once needs some insurance the best possible chances of getting it yeah and uh all too often these days, and I'm sure there'll be some insurance companies who are out there that will, um, will say, Matt, get into the real world here. But often cases are just turned, you know, they, they hit somebody's desk, oh, I haven't got the information, decline. Or it's somebody's desk, I haven't got the information, therefore we're going to rate five times the normal rate. But if those questions are asked up front um, and the right questions are asked up front, this is where the IFA comes in as well, I think, yeah. um, to, to, to help the underwriter paint that picture. Um, the, the best possible terms can be offered. Now, best possible terms might be, sadly, we can't do it. But at least, you, you, you know, you, the, the client, I hope, would understand that the best, you know, the, the, the market has been explored by the IFA, um, and every chance has been um, has, has been explored in order to, pos- to to provide the best terms that there are. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, with 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 schizophrenics, um, this this whether it's uh, the end game is somebody who has got minimal symptoms or no symptoms, it's very well controlled, fit and healthy, and, and you know. Working as a, as an example, that um, that first year of, of um, from an attack, uh, if, if I can call it that, or from mm. diagnosis, that first year you, you probably won't get terms. I've not looked at your case studies. I know that uh, you often hide things in there. I don't mean that horribly. (laughs) (laughs) You often use a fantastic, fantastic wall background to your cases. But um, usually um, it's postponed a year from from, uh, when that person has been diagnosed. But after five years, you can get standard rates for life insurance. So that's one attack, short duration, full recovery, five years, you can get cover yeah sorry you can get cover after one year but you can get standard terms after five years yes and also uh, if you've got more than one tacket and you're on maintenance treatment you are on treatment for the rest of your life but you're still able to work blah, 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 blah. Um, you'll be able to get cover albeit it looks quite expensive from where i'm sat uh, after yes. year one um but possibly you might get standard rates after year 10 Yes. So, you know, if, if you've had a diagnosis, it's certainly not the end of the world as regarding um, life insurance. Do talk, you know, do, do talk to an insurance professional and um, you, may, you may be surprised that, you, you, that, that life insurance is available.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think we've got some stuff like quick, not quick fire questions in some ways with this one. So I know we've explained the risks for life insurance and for critical illness cover for people who aren't familiar with the product. That is something that pays out and um, a cash lump sum if you are diagnosed with a, a serious or critical condition, such as a heart attack, cancer, stroke, and a number of other things. So one of the key that they're the three key areas that are claimed on. So obviously we've mentioned before about the high risk of this, um, of the heart disease. So I'm, I'm guessing that that insurers are concerned that there would be a higher risk of potentially claiming on heart attack are there any other areas that would be considered potentially a higher risk well, i think
1: all, all of the the the, the cardio uh, i'll speak in underwriting terms just for a second yeah cardio okay. and cerebrovascular so stroke yeah because because I'm, I'm thinking here of the um, uh, the the lifestyle not necessarily um it, it could constitute the um, furring up of the arteries, and narrowing of the arteries, which of course the, the blood not being able to flow as, as it should do and therefore yeah. cause either a heart attack or a stroke. Um, those would be the main ones. It, it would be the cardio and
0: cerebrovascular. Yeah, which are the, are the really key ones that people are, are going to be ones? claiming on. Cancer,
1: of course, which is another key one, which you, you know about. Um, mm. I've not seen a statistic to say that that is higher. I would throw back the question as an underwriter, as I would. If somebody doesn't look after themselves, you, you, it, it is likely, a, i.e., a lump or a bump, and you don't go and see a doctor, uh, or blood, passing blood, or whatever the, yeah. you know, the variety of symptoms that are with cancer, you're not looking after yourselves because you're not very well, basically, yeah. if you have to a, 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 a long term schizophrenic uh, challenge. Um, then I would probably say there is a risk of the, the statistics somewhere might show there is a high risk of cancer as well. But really, what's 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 shown in the statistical modelling is is ischemic heart disease. I would guess stroke would be would be uh, an educated guess would be quite close to that as well.
0: Okay, thank you. I imagine it's just to be clear as well and some of the contracts that are now available, there are some critical contracts where um, they will potentially pay out for diagnosis of psychosis. And yeah. um, I think it would be probably fair to say that that would at least be an exclusion um, on the policy if somebody had already experienced psychosis in the past. I would think so. I yeah. think,
1: you know, I, I would never say never because I'm not yeah. an underwriter who says that. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe in it, particularly with the, um, the, the, the way that modern medical science is going. Um, but... I think it would be very, very unlikely that you yeah. get that, that you would get full cover, put it
0: that way. Absolutely. Um, so, a couple of last ones on income protection can be very, very tricky to get. Now, this is something obviously we've spoken about. I've definitely spoken about a number of times, um, because we can get income protection policies with mental health exclusions on them. Unfortunately, at the moment, we cannot get that for people who have schizophrenia, and it's it's always that really difficult conversation, especially an advisor, really difficult conversation to have with somebody to say, well, yes, they can do these policies with a mental health exclusion, and even though you have a mental health condition that would be excluded, I still can't get all the other aspects of the policy for you. But I'm assuming from what you've said, Matt, that is because of all those additional lifestyle factors that could in turn, in, in a sense, probably the exclusion that would be related to the mental health condition would be incredibly far-reaching because if it's if there is a high risk of a heart attack then that and a high risk of a stroke then it's not just going to be a mental health condition it's going to also be like you say a cardiovascular so a heart-related condition a cerebral um, exclusion as well am I right in thinking that? Yeah. So it's, it's,
1: it's, yes in, in, but I, I would maybe throw the comment in in general terms. Yes of course. Absolutely. We can't we can't um, uh, dismiss as you've just said, the, the cerebrocardio innovation um, uh, elevation in, in terms of, um, uh, of the risks that are presented. I think if I was just, if, if somebody had had a schizophrenic attack 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and had no, you know, had, had returned to normal life and therefore um, was being checked out medically, etc mm. etc et um blood pressure is checked, you know and, and various other things then i mm. would say that coverage sh- could be granted
0: okay
1: that would be my take because if i'm looking at the risk factors <clears throat> so i'm not talking about somebody here who's on continuous treatment necessarily okay um but somebody who's been working because obviously that's a con- generally a condition of income protection yeah. um uh, and has had no problems for many years, then I, I can't see why, why cover could not be granted. Maybe with a schizophrenic exclusion, maybe, yeah. um, but I, I would have said, what are, what are the chances of, of them after that length of time having another episode, which, which will, um, would stop them working for a significant, well, a period yeah. of time. If you put an exclusion on, then that gets rid of that. So, what yes. else are we looking at here? That is, remember, I'm, I'm being very specific, I think, in terms of the select group of, of schizophrenic people yes. here, in that we are talking a long time ago.
0: Yes. So, somebody who's recovered.
1: Recover- yeah. To all intents and purposes, recovered.
0: Yeah. One. No, that's good. Thank you for, for the clarification on that. And I suppose, you know, what flows on quite nicely for that is, sorry, what are your thoughts on things like permanent? self-harm exclusions on insurances, we are starting to see this emerging in the market. And I think there's still this kind of, um, some people are sorry, still a bit umming and ahhing as to whether or not this should be something that the market adopts more widely. Because I think, you know, there's there is the, there's the so many different aspects to it, isn't there? So there's like, if we can do exclusions, that means we can insure more people, which is obviously fantastic. But then we need to make sure that people really understand what that exclusion means. And not just them, but also potentially, people who might need to step in and help if there's a claim so they in a sense so they realize that this isn't just something that's been sort of slipped in somewhere you know it has been part of the contract the person's been aware of it um and 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 other things as well as to whether or not other people might start to think well is it okay at all is it legitimate to be putting exclusions on people won't want them um which is really hard because there's a lot of people that we speak to especially who would be love the policies even if it did have an exclusion you know but that sometimes they just can't get them and so, sort of, especially on the standard market so so what are your thoughts on things like that do you think that it's something that uh, we might see more of
1: right i think i think um the first thing i would say is that um, I, know, I know there is a fair amount of opposition in the insurance market, um, particularly from some of the, the, the new co's on the new companies insurers on the block, to exclusions. Full stop. Mm. Um, my inherent view, an absolutely um, stuck-in-stone view, is that if by putting on an exclusion, and I will caveat the the, the exclusion in a minute, but if if that means that we can get cover for somebody for all the other causes then I am totally for that yeah I am you know to, to say somebody can't have cover at all just because we're not, we're not prepared to offer an exclusion is I, I, I think is um, wrong fundamentally wrong secondly I think the term of the 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 maybe the more specific part of the question is you um, it's, to use the example I have is the self harm exclusion. Yeah. Now, you've again touched on the point that it's all well and good underwriters putting on an exclusion, but if they can't be used in practice yes. or uh, by the claims folk, um, then they're not worth the paper they're written on, really. In ter- in terms of risk management, and, to, and for the client as well, for that much. Yeah. Because if, if they can't understand or, or why you know an exclusion is being put on and why then they're they're being um, excluded because it's got something very tentative, a very tentative link to the exclusion wording. Then that doesn't do the industry any good at all, and, it is, and flies in the face of uh, my view of what protection is all about. So. My it always has been on exclusions. I, I I believe in exclusions. Um, mm. It it is the practicality of the wording of that exclusion that I would look at very carefully, and and how it could be used a claim. A does it is it is it, is it a fair deal for the insurer, and potentially even more importantly, is it a fair deal for the client? Yes. And if both of those boxes are ticked then I would go for it I think if I look at the um, definition or sorry the wording self-harm then um, I would wonder quite what that covers and what it doesn't cover <laughs> yeah I would I would, ha- I would have to look at the exclusion wording to, 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 to have an absolute view on it but it does seem extremely wide-ranging and when you um, have a, a wide-ranging exclusion, it kind of defeats the purpose. Exclusions look better if they can be, be specific, let me put it that way.
0: Absolutely. Wide range,
1: wide-ranging uh, uh, wordings allow themselves to be misinterpreted all over the place.
0: Yeah. Not, not just underwriter,
1: not just claims um, underwriter, but also the client and the IFA. You're putting their names behind that, that insurance company's exclusion wording let's be honest here
0: exactly I was going to say sometimes when we do get things like a mental health exclusion on something like it, it could be on like an income protection policy it might be on something which is known as waiver of premium which is specific technical technical add-on type thing that I won't go to in depth in here but sometimes when you see those mental health exclusions they're a paragraph and they cover they almost seem to cover anything and everything sometimes and yeah. um you know, and it's, it is really difficult, because ultimately, it is a case, you know, when I speak to people, I get a mixture of responses. So a lot of the time, if it's something that has an exclusion, a lot of the time, people who do have a mental health condition, just from my experience, I'm certainly not saying it's everybody. Um, but the majority of people have turned on and said, you know, what? actually, that's fine. You know, I'm, I've never, I've never not been at work because of my mental health or I've yeah. never had this or that, but basically is this covering me and is it going to do this if I get cancer or if I have a heart attack or stroke, you know, the multiple sclerosis, the key things that people tend to worry about and, um, and it'll be a case of yes. And then they're like, well, that's fine. That, you know, that's the things that I am worried about. That You know, you do sometimes get the people who say, well, no, I don't want it if it doesn't cover my mental health. And, and unfortunately, that's a really difficult conversation because in terms of the personal insurance markets, that means that a lot of the time it's, it's not available um, or, you know, you're having to go through potentially incredibly specialist policies that are very, very expensive. But generally, um, what I would say is on the personal market, if someone does have a mental health history, um, exclude life insurance but say like for for things like we have a premium things for income protection you would you know be seeing a mental health exclusion on there and um, with life insurance you don't typically see exclusions so I think that's really important to say as well there's with all well I say all I can't say all but with the majority of life insurance policies there is an initial um, 12-month suicide exclusion for anybody who takes out the policy regardless of their past um, and that would be generally the only exclusion that you would see that there are sometimes exclusions for other reasons but generally for health you don't get exclusions for for health on um on life insurance policies um so i do have some examples and these ones go slightly outside of that um sorry point because they are for people who had um are living with schizophrenia And actually, um, both of the policies that I'm going to mention, they do have It's a very specialist policy, but they do have a permanent self-harm and suicide exclusion on the policies. And that means that if somebody in in either of these situations, if they were to die um, whilst the policy is active and it was attributed to something to do with self-harm or suicide, then the policy wouldn't pay out. Now, some people might think, well, they don't like the sound of that that it's up to each person individually as to what feels right for them or not. Other people think, well, that's okay because that's not the person that I feel that I am. Obviously we can never say for certain what might happen to somebody at some stage um, or what might happen in their life that might trigger such things. Um, But generally, you know, when we speak to people in this space, if it's a choice of maybe not being able to get the insurance versus being able to get it, then they might get it. And, um, and what can be quite a positive from these policies as well is that, yes, they do have those exclusions on them, but they are then priced accordingly. So we're not going into silly pricing, um, which obviously I'll, I'll demonstrate as I go through the case study. So the first case study I had Was for a female in her late 30s. And she had been diagnosed with schizophrenia about 16 years before we did the application for her life insurance. And she had had some history of hospitalization. So that goes back to what you were saying, Matt, about the, um, about, so like the, we would probably expect some level of hospitalization at some point. Um, So for this person, we were able to get £60,000 worth of life insurance over 17 years for a premium of £20 per month as I say, that did have the permanent self-harm and suicide exclusion. Um, the next case study that I have was actually for a couple and they were in their early to mid thirties and um, it wouldn't be, in, in some ways, we wouldn't usually, if we, if we had a couple and somebody had schizophrenia and was maybe going to go down the route where there would be the self-harm and suicide exclusion, we wouldn't necessarily put both people down that route because the person without the schizophrenia might not have that. Um, but it all comes down to, you um, people's choices and also if we were doing things like mortgage cover which this was for you would usually do a joint policy and so in this situation we'd given them the option of the joint policy together with this exclusion set or potentially doing two individual policies one that had the permanent self-harm and suicide exclusion for one of them and the other one that only had that initial 12-month suicide exclusion period which is standard in the market so and say this couple early to mid 30s, uh, the person um, with schizophrenia had been diagnosed about three years before the application. And there had been a history of some self-harm and some suicidal thoughts as well in the past. So we were able to arrange for them £112,000 worth of life insurance over 33 years for a premium that was close to £13 per month. And. Um, so I hope that's given people a good idea of some examples. And obviously, I've tried to do it where it was a case of somebody who was diagnosed quite a long time ago versus somebody who was diagnosed quite recently. And uh, and just to give that price in there, just to show that we're not talking silly money when we're talking about these insurances necessarily. Obviously, everyone is individual. Every application is individual. Everyone's circumstances are individual. Um, but I thought there were just some nice um, nice ones to obviously end this on quite a positive
1: Absolutely. No, it's it's it just shows you what can be achieved. Where, where there's a will, there's often a way. Not always, sadly, but there is often a way. So that's really, really good.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, as always, for your insights, Matt. Uh, Next time, we have a very unique episode. I'm not going to give anything away. Uh, You're just going to need to turn up and listen to it. And we've got some very fun guests for the last episode of Season 5. And we'll be taking a little bit of a break over summer and starting back up again in September. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please do drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget, if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too thanks to our sponsors the octa members thank you again matt
1: thank you